Talo for Lava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Susana Suisuki. Coming up... The use of mercenaries is a new thing that we've seen in the last 20 years. PNG's massacre sees boys as young as 10 joining to fight. Also... At a certain point when our friends won't give us any more loans, then we have to think of other options. While the U.S. takes its time to approve the compact funding, China comes knocking on the North Pacific's doors. And later... I can't, I can't talk about the, the specific nature of it. It will come out when, we, when it's uh, released by the board. Whether or not Fiji's women's minister will be dismissed is likely to be the prime minister's call. Boys as young as 10 are reportedly involved in tribal fighting in Papua New Guinea's Inga province. At least 50 people are dead following the latest clash in an ongoing tribal conflict. A man that's housing victims says while women and children flee, young boys stay and fight. Lydia Lewis has the story. Akila Kunza, who lives in Wapenamanda, wants the fighters to stop for the sake of the innocent. Please call men, put down your guns. The call comes as he shelters pregnant women and children. They have escaped to other villages and uh, men, women and children have uh, rushed. They have fled, fled for shelter and refuge from the tribal warfare. We are looking after the, the victims, vulnerable uh, men, women and children who have fled from these uh, fighting zones. But while some flee the fighting, young boys stay and fight. Mr Kunza says the situation is disheartening. Ten and above, like 11, 12, they fight. They are regarded as uh, men, so they go into hiding. They uh, go with the men and they stay at selected areas. That is more traumatising. Elders say they're doing everything they can to ease tensions, and churches have taken a collective stand as well. But Mr Kunza says the men with guns don't listen. This man who would like to remain anonymous is one of them. That's what I'm planning to fight. They killed my brother and I'm not happy with that. His brother was killed last year in an incident that he says sparked the current round of tribal fighting. Senior PNG journalist and RNZ Pacific correspondent Scott Wyder says the clans use guns brought on the back market, including US-made M16s. There are modern elements at play, like modern weapons, military-type weapons that are used in the tribal fighting, uh, along with traditional weapons. And that has put a new spin on the level of violence. Uh, The use of mercenaries is a new thing that we've seen in the last 20 years. Uh, So all of that put together adds to the complexity of the tribal violence, uh, the tribal landscape that exists in the Enga province. Acting Enga Provincial Police Commander Inspector Patrick Pecker has condemned the actions of leaders and educated elites from both warring factions for supplying guns and ammunitions and hiring tribal warlords and gunmen from other districts. Another local in a nearby township who would like to remain anonymous says a state of emergency is needed. He says he's terrified. It was a bloody Sunday. It's it's in the history of our province and of our country. This hasn't been seen before. This couldn't be seen in the future. This is massive, massive massacre. Prime Minister James Marapa has called in the military to contain the violence. 
China is knocking in the North Pacific as the United States moves at a snail's pace to pass a major strategic agreement. The Compacts of Free Association gives the U.S. military access to the Federated States of Micronesia, Marshall Islands and Palau. In return, the countries are given financial assistance and the right to work in the U.S. The previous 20-year funding arrangement expired on September 30th last year, and although the new compacts have been agreed on, they haven't yet passed Congress, putting the freely associated states in financial strife. Caleb Fotheringham has more. With debt equal to Palau's GDP between two to three hundred million US dollars, President Sarangal Whips Jr. was relying on the new compact agreement to pay off loans. Now Palau is looking at borrowing more. At a certain point when our friends won't give us any more loans, then we have to think of other options. We're not there yet, but we don't need to take on more loans and get on more debt and pay on more interest if the agreement follows through in a timely manner. President Whips says he's also waiting on the compact to address high inflation and allow the nation to hire more teachers and police officers. Mr Whips is asking the US to not forget about Palau. You're creating doubt and making people maybe think that We're not as important, and then if we're not as important, then maybe we should go to somebody who who cares and really thinks we're important. And that's what we don't want. We want to make sure that our people have the full confidence and trust that they've always had and continue to have with the United States. The freely associated states penned a letter to the U.S. Senate saying they are concerned about being exploited by competitive political actors without the funding. Another letter to the Senate from Mr Whips says China has offered the country attractive economic offers. However, he told RNZ Pacific they weren't interested. There are people in Palau that, of course, say, we don't want U.S. missiles in Palau. We should consider relations with China. We should do all this. Fortunately, at this point in time, they're still a minority. The Federated States of Micronesia President Wesley Semina says the nation is barely hanging on. Mr Semina says the FSM will be an economic and social instability if the US fails to provide further funding in time. He says 70% of revenue from the FSM comes from the compact agreement. That's what's worrisome to us right now. We're uh, really uh, worried that without approval of the compact to make our funding more uh, permanent, then we are facing that fiscal cliff. He wants the U.S. to remember the freely associated states are an important ally. The FAS countries are just as much part of their Indo-Pacific strategy as other partners that they have in this region. So we would just ask that the U.S. Congress would continue its prioritization of the approval of the compact of free association agreements. RNZ Pacific's Marshall Islands correspondent Giff Johnson says the delay risks the U.S. losing influence in the region. If the U.S. government can't take care of its best allies and best friends, how is it going to deliver on promises to Tonga and Solomon and Tuvalu, the second and third level allies, if you will. He says Congress has been unable to pass the compacts because of their own internal process and not because of the agreements. This is all about mechanics and dynamics within the U.S. Congress, and they can't get their act together. And they're a dysfunctional organization. And so that just sends a message out in this part of the world. Unfortunately, Mr. Johnson says the issue is the U.S. has not delivered on the compact's promise.
Fiji's Prime Minister will likely make the call on whether their women's minister embroiled in a drug and sex scandal will be dismissed. The People's Alliance legal watchdog will provide an outcome by the end of the week after a complaint was made against Minister for Women Linda Tambuya. Her conduct is in question after allegations of a premarital affair and drug use while on a ministerial trip in Australia in August last year. This could be the second political upheaval in the wake of the allegations scandal, a matter which has captivated the people of Fiji and threatened the stability of the coalition. Alicia Foon spoke with People's Alliance Party General Secretary Usaya Pita Wangaitairewa about the investigation involving its senior cabinet minister, Linda Tambuya. The panel is still uh, compiling its report, and um, they got till the, I think the end of, the, the end of this week when they, we will um, call a management meeting where they present their findings. I thought the, the time frame was two weeks. Yeah, we had sought an extension. So was that a one-week extension? Yeah. And are you able to share if the nature of the complaints had to do with her conduct with Minister Asiri? It's um, just someone just complained about his conduct. Uh, I, can't, I can't talk about the, the specific nature of it. It will come out when we and it's uh, released by the board. And what will this look like? And I guess what, what is the time frame when a decision is made? Could you walk through two scenarios? If she stays, nothing will change. If she, if the board decides that she will be dismissed, what would that look like? I haven't walked through any of these scenarios with you. Okay, are you able to walk through the scenario well, of what I, a time frame would look like if she is dismissed? I, I've just, I just mentioned that the board will be meeting till the end of the week and then uh, they will hear the, the findings of the panel and then they will decide from there. It's not the board, it's the, the uh, management committee. Sure. Have you been a yeah. part of those discussions in the lead-up as well? No, I just facilitate the hearing and that's it. When, the, when they have completed the report, they will let me know and I will call a management meeting where we'll be presented. But you can't let me know about potential time frames after a decision is made? Uh, no. Would that be like a, a decision that Mbuka would make at the, the end? That's for the board to decide. It's, well, the board is chaired by the prime minister, the party leader, but that's for them to decide. I, I can't really predict what they, what the outcome is until we... Okay. Just talking in facts, you, you mentioned that it's up to the prime minister to decide... He chairs the management uh, committee. He chairs the management committee, and um, the, they will be, the outcome of it will, will come out from that management committee meeting which he chairs. So it'll be a collective decision. It won't just fall on the prime minister. Well, no, it's up to them what they want to do. They'll maybe ask him to his call, or they will decide as, as, a, as, a, as a management committee, like it's a joint committee decision. And in the lead up to all of this, Minister Tabuya is still. Uh, undergoing her usual ministerial positions and responsibilities. Is that correct? Uh, yes. Has she been able to provide any explanations um, or is it just completely separate? Has she been told not to speak on the complaint? Well, she was summoned to the panel and um, they uh, went through the facts and discussed the uh, allegations with her. And um, and then now they're compiling the report based on what was her replies and the evidence they have in their hands. Were you aware that she has now gone to the Australian government twice regarding images to be removed online of her? Yeah, I saw that, yeah. And is the board aware of this as well? I guess so, because the, um, 
I mean, obviously, they, some well, some of them would would be um, reading, um, you know, whatever the, the pages. So the nature of the complaint has to do with, or is linked to, the investigation. Well, they are they are investigating the images, but I, I can't really confirm that with you. I'm not in a position to do that. I, I would suggest that we just be a little bit more patient. By the end of the week, you'll have your answers. And when you say by the end of the week, can you provide a date or a time? When the new date is finished, they will obviously will deliver the. Um, they will have completed the report. They will let me know, and I will call a management board meeting. Researchers are looking at a new wind-speed warning category for tropical cyclones because they're getting stronger with global heating. New Zealand's most damaging storms tend to start as tropical cyclones. Local forecasters are watching developments. Climate correspondent Eloise Gibson reports. MedService switched to using a colour-coded system of storm warnings five years ago and has issued more red warnings than it ever expected. Head of Weather Communication Lisa Murray says the system was changed because people were getting warning fatigue. She says MetService originally expected only a few red alerts a year. So we originally thought it'd be zero to three, but actually we've had a lot more. In fact, between 2019 and now we have had uh, 14 red warning events. Lisa Murray says when a warning comes, it's crucial people know how severe the storm will be. Where the red warning was the most intense type of events we'll get. So this is our um, ex-tropical cyclones uh, where you're going to see a lot of rain, a lot of wind uh, and high seas, sea inundation, all that kind of effect. Otago University senior lecturer Daniel Kingston says the majority of the country's most damaging storms start their lives as tropical cyclones. That's why he and other New Zealand researchers are keeping a close eye on news that the cyclone category system might be due for a shake-up. Right now, the wind speed of a tropical cyclone is rated from 1 to 5. But Niwa climate scientist Sam Dean says as cyclones are getting stronger, the top rating, which covers anything above 252 kilometres an hour, is no longer enough to show the severity of the strongest storms. The top category, Category 5, is the strongest one, but it's also open-ended. This wasn't really a big deal previously because we never saw any cyclones that you know um, were well beyond Category 5, but we have seen a few in recent years, and so this has been proposed. Daniel Kingston says scientists don't necessarily expect more frequent cyclones with climate change. But what we are expecting is for an increase in intensity of the most severe ones. And so communicating that becomes a problem when you've got this this open-ended top category. International researchers have published a study on what would happen if there was a Category 6, indicating wind speeds above 309 kilometres an hour. They found five storms would have qualified all since 2013. Sam Dean says as the oceans heat, cyclones gain more energy from the warm ocean and hotter air carries more water vapour, which fuels them further. Something we've observed, not only are temperatures going up, but the water vapour in the atmosphere is going up. As the water vapour in the atmosphere goes up, that water vapour is an energy source. He says forecasting requires a lot more than knowing the wind speed. You know, if we think of um, Gabrielle, I think, reached a maximum of a Category 3 cyclone, which is sort of a moderate tropical cyclone, but yet that was an exceptionally damaging cyclone in terms of its rainfall amount. Although New Zealand and neighbouring countries use a different classification system, ours too is open-ended. 
Lisa Murray says the proposed new Category 6 is relevant here. This becomes a standard through the World Net Organisation. We will definitely be taking it on. She says this is part of an ongoing effort to update warning systems to cope with climate change and get people to listen when a dangerous storm is on its way. That's Pacific Waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Spotify, Apple and iHeartRadio. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, till Fast 3-4.